Okay, now I'm properly hydrated. Welcome to the Visual K Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick, also known as Whirling Black. And with me today, I have, as usual, your co-host, Alexi. And I'm the editor, James, also known as Plant. Weren't you also the podcast producer for a while? What happened with that? Yeah, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> Every episode, you change jobs. It's very clunky <laughs> to say, hi, I'm the podcast producer and editor, and I also talk on the show. I don't know what I am. I'm just, I'm here you, for the ride, and I comment occasionally. You do all of the jobs. Me and Alexius talk, and you do everything else. Yeah, I write your scripts and everything. Yeah, of course. And, you know. I think we're a burden for the James show, which is what the audience really wants. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So today is actually a pretty rare moment. We are sort of vaguely on schedule to keep our promised uh, twice per month episode streak. That's true. Yeah, like, I think it's been a while since we did that. <laughs> Don't curse it. Uh, well, I, it was supposed to be funny, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've just cursed it now. There's nothing funny about our Damn release it. schedule. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's on my list of things to say to be funny in the intro. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> note uh, to self, be funny. Yeah, note to self, be funny about our release schedule, laugh at the pain. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, so uh, James, you had some um, show for us. Oh, yeah. Ready? You ready for this? I'm going to open something for you guys. This is the best part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> ASMR. Uh, yeah, I'm going to drink an abomination. It's Coca-Cola with coffee. Oh, wow. That sounds... I like it. I, I actually... Oh, have you tried it? Fuck with. Um, I think I might have, although I'm not sure, but this is something that some people just make like spontaneously like homebrew coke with coffee you're just gonna mix it it's like fanta and coke put together that type of deal wow. but they used to have this kind of like finnish energy drink and it had like a coffee version and it was awesome at least it was when i was a child Ugh. it's actually pretty good <laughs> see i'm not surprised yeah i actually really like it i was thinking you guys probably would never hear of it though because it just sounds like a very american thing oh like, it is see we, both of us are from like very heavy coffee nations so i think that that was a prime thing to bring the over. The thing is, though, that I couldn't imagine something more disgusting than putting coffee <laughs> in things. So for me, that sounds absolutely vile. Your passport is revoked. <laughs> no, actually, I, I don't know. I think I might actually have some kind of allergy to coffee. Every time I have tried it throughout my life, I start violently vomiting without <laughs> within like 15 oh. minutes. Uh, That's actually my reaction to the band that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> Nice segue. Oh yeah, and speaking of the topic of today's episode is the rather recent Visual K band Dimlim. love that ulach sound <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. but yeah i guess i should have said x visual k band but we will we will get there eventually uh before we start the discussion alexi i know you're raring to go to tell us some more about this band so take it away 
Yeah, so basically Dimlim is a Visual K unit started in 2017 by a guy called Issei who is a verified scene legend. He had essentially headhunted the other members, Sho, Retsu, Ryue and Tsubasa, of which only Sho and Retsu would end up remaining stable members in the band. Issei was now a scene veteran, but Sho had no prior band history and Retsu had only done a brief stint in DID. And speaking of DID, I think we should probably go over Issei's career leading up to the formation of Dimlim. Uh, so before masterminding Dimlim, Issei had started out his career in a band that our boy Frederick is a big, big fan of. Alright, hated, yeah. They were a very short-lived band from uh, Nagoya from the mid-2000s. I think their releases are from like 2003 until 2005. So he was, you know, he's quite old, Issei. I feel like he's this grandpa who just sort of like caught all these other guys straight from high school to start Dimlim. Yeah, and um, one thing that's like reflecting his age is that Hated is a very solid period new metal band that just wouldn't exist in the past 10 years. Oh, no, definitely not. It's uh, very much sounds like the heavy Visual K did 2005. You, you, you can't make that up today. Yeah. So after Hated, Issei's career unfortunately took a downturn. He was going from one fledgling Oshara band to another before eventually returning to the metal style of Visual K in DID under the tutorship of the undisputed king of public relations and a mental health advocate, Akane. So if you don't know DID, I suggest that you should probably give them a shot. They're not a perfect band by any means, but when it comes to the sound, they were very ambitious, kind of unique in that metal niche of Visual K. Um, but eventually Akane's mental health problems and an inconsistent release schedule that would even make the boys at the Visual K podcast proud. <laughs> <laughs> the band was doomed to obscurity. But if you put Providentia today, even from the first few seconds, you notice where Issei got the sound that he was eventually going to bring into Dimlim. Yeah, and if, uh, if there's any demand for it, we would be also happy to make a, an episode about Akane and his bands as well at some point. Yeah, I mean, if this episode is going to feature some Twitter wars, that episode will be like 30 minutes on just Twitter. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So let's not spill all those at the moment. <laughs> yeah, but I think what you should know is that Akane was just very Western-minded, and it's obvious that he borrowed stuff from Western metalcore bands into his own music. So I think a guy like that was needed to bring the whole metalcore niche inside Visual K forward. But anyway, Dimlim itself probably had its start when Issei and Retsu decided to save themselves from the dying DID. The other members were promptly recruited and the band debuts by dropping the Aharawada PV, followed by the mini album that we're going to be talking about at first, Various. Yeah, I just want to quickly mention as well, I think Various was released at their very first live, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah, if you go to vk.jy, you notice that there's like a dozen different uh versions yeah of and if you go and, and you download the album very legally you notice that there's like a weird chinese bootleg version of it or something too <laughs> oh, i think to bleep that, that yeah i think we have to cut that yeah i think we have to cut that uh Ritz will uh, hit us with some litigation <laughs> <laughs> your boys at the vkpc need money desperately to <laughs> <laughs> this lawsuit okay so uh yeah let's go on to uh go on to the first release then
Yeah. I have to say that this sounds so much like Issei, it's crazy. You can you can tell oh, his yeah, signature is all over this. If, yeah, I mean the presence of DID is so clearly felt. Like, yeah, you can even hear the, like like his later band Nasare as well. It just sounds exactly like various era Dim Lim. Yeah, for sure. It's very breakdown heavy, wild synthesizer applied occasionally with a rather western riffing style i would say for the most part it's very messy and technical yeah and yeah so it's like is a trademarked all over he wrote all of these all of the songs he didn't let any of the other members take part in the creative process for this album he wrote everything himself only the lyrics are written by the vocalist supposedly yeah and i <laughs> supposedly yeah <laughs> and I, I think he would bring most of those things to Nazar as well yeah. um Shaw for example often goes into this wall of completely incomprehensible growls where you couldn't basically make out even like individual letters whereas then after Issei left he would start enunciating in a more clear way and then there is a horrible horrible synth string breakdown in Massacre around like the one minute mark and that's such an Issei thing to do yeah it's pretty interesting also, I just wanted to mention, I forgot to do it in the intro, but for a band that's only been around for four years, a bit over, I guess, four and a half maybe, it's pretty impressive to have three very distinct eras. I was thinking the same. I totally forgot that they had been formed so late. Yeah, because the thing is, you know, last time we discussed Metronome and we were like, yeah, I guess Metronome has three eras, but Metronome has been around for 20 years. Well, this band has been around for four and a half, and they still have three very, very distinct eras. Which I suppose is because of their strong sort of like open door policy in regards to band members. They just kind of came and went. But yeah, I mean, the, the funny part is that when I first heard this uh, various album around the time it came out, I didn't like it at all. I, I thought it was way too messy and... I don't know, there was nothing to sort of like for me to hook my attention to because everything was just all over the place, everywhere, like to the max, constantly. I understand that point of view. And for me personally, I liked that kind of stuff at the time. So for me, it was okay. But I it, it didn't really blow my mind in the same way that there some of the future releases would, where they really put me on notice. For me, they were just another decent band, although they were kind of heavier than i think most of their contemporaries at the time yeah and i think the hype after did sort of stayed with akana and not really translated much into this project from the start at least so i gotta ask james what did you think of various yeah i thought it was all right i mean i agree with a lot of the things you guys said it does have kind of a of a western vibe and um it is very choppy and messy. Like I think my my first impression kind of lines with Frederick's. Um, and I remember when I was listening to it, I wonder like how much of the guitar is just being played like that or being processed in post, like being chopped up. Like I wonder how it would sound live. Yeah, that's a quite good point. I don't think I've heard any of the various songs in a live format, so I, I couldn't comment on it. But I know that Essay records almost all of his music at home by himself. He records all of the instruments. Like, mm. he just records straight into his laptop or computer or whatever, so... 
<laughs> when he gets up from his chair and walks to the bathroom, how many like empty ramen packets do you think he steps on the way? <laughs> yeah, how, how many songs has he written since the last time he went to the bathroom is the best question because he he like pumped out songs like a madman. <laughs> Issei has a colostomy bag to save all his ideas. <laughs> Like, both in this project, I think there was three versions of various, and each of them had a different track list. I think there was only like three songs in common across each, and then there was totally different tracks. So if you put it all together, there's like 13 tracks on various. I only listened to one version of this, so I think you've mentioned a few tracks. I'm like, wait, that's not on this album, but I guess this is not a different <laughs> version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Like, I think Massacre is on like one specific one. Yeah, it is. I think there's those two songs I remember that was on all versions. Uh, it's uh, Aharevata and The Invisible, I think, are on all versions. Which are coincidentally my favorite tracks, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, at least for me, Aharevata is the sort of hit on the album. It's their first PV song as well, and it does what he does well. I mean, it's, a, it's sort of like a one-trick pony, or how you say, you know. He, he does his thing, and he doesn't really deviate much from it. Uh, I think the track Shocho is also all right. I think there's some promise here with the more traditionally kind of hit-composed visual case stuff, like Aharavata, for example. But then there's some very obvious live filler that made into this, like Destroy a Desire, <laughs> which is just obviously made for Furitsuken to hype up the audience. And I mean, Limit for Reverse is also like, I don't even know, dude. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like they wanted to have enough songs to play one man lives right off the bat. So they probably just totally said like, can you make 15 songs for us? We can play a full one man right off the bat. And then he sat at his computer for a week and play, <laughs> he just, played it. He just went to the 7-Eleven and copped some fucking strong zeros and went back home and pulled, pulled an all-nighter. Well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, if uh, that's his sort of, like, creative process. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's it doesn't, doesn't surprise me either that he can't really manage to keep a band because it seems from what I gather that he really doesn't let any other members in on the creative process in the band. At least from what I read uh, about the reasons he was kicked from the band because that's what happened, spoiler, after, uh, after about a year I think, like early 2018 or something like that. He was yeah, kicked. it also explains how he prefers new guys over other scene veterans. He, yeah, exactly. He doesn't want to play with people who are his equal because, you know, then he would be forced to compromise his sound. He would rather find ta young talents that he can sort of like mold to his liking. So I think we can jump to Silent Song. And yeah. I kind of find this a little bit of a transitionary song between two eras. I think you can hear Reds away more. It has this guitar noodling already, but otherwise the soundscape is still like that overloaded Issei style, especially the drumming is like an avalanche of <laughs> him doing him, basically. Yeah, I think it wasn't Silent Song released like right before he was kicked out or something like that. I believe so, yeah. Oh yeah, you know what? Actually, Silent Song was released a month after Issei was kicked from the band. So it might oh, shit. it might be that it's uh, you know leftovers from uh, songs he wrote for the band, but it could also be that the other guys sort of composed it 
themselves. I'm not sure. I would have to see set lists to tell if they played the songs before it was yeah. kicked. Thing is that they made Silent Song verboten almost immediately when they uh, changed to the MISC era. So in in addition to purging other essay stuff, they purged Silent Song also. Oh, you mean the yeah, the Kedora era? Yeah, uh, no, like when I went to MISC era, they basically purged their old stuff from YouTube. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. But they even in the Kedora era, they didn't play a lot of songs live from their first essay era either. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would say that Silent Song still sounds like at least the influence of Issei is there. Yeah. I don't know who plays the drums on it. Yeah, but... I think it's... I mean, I feel like it's definitely is a product of him in some way. Because they didn't get another drummer until like six months later. If it was released like a month after he left the band, I feel like it's likely the song might have even been recorded at the time he was kicked out. If I was a betting man, that's what I would go for. Yeah, same, same. It's, uh, but yeah, I was going to say it's no wonder that you know he he was eventually kicked because he he you know seems like a control freak and didn't let any other band members sort of take part in the creative process. So yeah. when the rest sort of like stood up to him and was like, "Well, we also want to do something with this band," he was like, "Oh, well, fuck this, I'm out," and then starts a new band with new kids. Yeah, I think it's probably time to go over his final days in Dimlim. So his exit wasn't the most graceful yeah. <laughs> out there. Um, one thing that Issei took after Akane is just horrible, horrible decorum on Twitter. There's not only a language barrier between like Japanese musicians and the Western community, but also a cultural barrier, which is just as wide as the seas in between. Uh, he's not as bad as Akane's immortal Twitter feud with Islam and mankind and his eventual conversion to Christianity. <laughs> but apparently Issei didn't take kindly to the memes of himself, so he proceeded to berate some poor girl on Twitter, I guess. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, he uh, like uh, private messaged some, some girl who had posted some memes featuring himself, and he was like telling her to send pictures when she was crying. To him, which is just super weird. I think she was said. I think she said something like, "Well, I'm really sorry. I'm really sad." And then it was like, "We'll send pictures of yourself crying then, or something like that." That's, That's so solid. creepy. That's like a fetish thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels to see like pictures it. of you crying. <laughs> Yeah, that's collection. a very strange way to ask nudes, but all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I I do believe he also wasn't he the one who also did the death penalty thing, like like posting our music online as a fine of ten million yen or death penalty. Fuck, I don't remember, but but it's possible. I think basically, like in Visual K, the two Napster type feuds have been with Nocturnal Bloodlust. Also notorious scam artists and then Issei. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was him. Sorry, yeah, it was. Uh, I said to double check. Yeah, it was Issei who said that uh, uploading the band's music should yield death penalty. That's okay. uh, nice. Yeah, so it's probably not a surprise to anyone that eventually the issues within the band were brought to a boil and he was promptly kicked out by the rest of the members. Yeah, and the thing is that he didn't even last that long in the band. Uh, I mean, Various was released in June 2017 and already in November he was kicked out. So he was in the band for like five, six months. 
that's a good solid binge drinking session <laughs> ending up with a lot of regret yeah so after Issei was unceremoniously thrown out of the band uh, the rest of the members had more of an ability to decide themselves what kind of music they wanted to make and the result was the album Kedwara So after Issei and the bassist Tsubasa leave the band, the band recruits two new members and goes on to launch one of the biggest events in the Western Visual K fandom that I can recall. First they drop the PV for Vanitas, then the lyric video for Shigarami, and then finally the PV for Aizo Nitsuki. And basically everyone was on notice, even the people who didn't follow the band before. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember that. I think they caught my attention for the first time properly. Uh, they really caught my attention with those uh, video previews or however you want to say. I think Vanitas wasn't where they really caught my attention, though. It was uh, Iso Nitsuki. That's where sort of I really became hooked on their new sound. Yeah, I was sold from the jump. Um, Vanitas kind of brought back Art K, only to kill it once again <laughs> and not do anything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, finally, like suddenly it feels like the music actually can breathe. There's some space. Um, we can probably all agree that this is Retsu's peak as a composer. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I, I might even go further. I'm going to say that this album is easily on my top 10 VK albums of the 2010s. It's... Uh, also probably the best like debut full-length album i've heard by a band since the 90s possibly it's insanely good it's very mature and balanced compared to various i feel like the elements that existed on on various all of the messy stuff got taken out while things just got focused and they could start given room to breathe and became more organic yeah, the sound has been fleshed out on a major scale. Like, we could probably first look at something like Malformation as an example, where the mathy guitar noodling is kind of interspersed with that metalcore technique, which makes up like the spine of the song, like a central rhythm around which all these flourishes bring color. Yeah, exactly. And also, I feel like the heavy, heavy sections in the songs on this album actually has some weight to it. I mm -hmm. feel like the weight was lost in the in various, while here you can actually feel the weight of the heavy riffs. It's very well mixed. Yeah, I, awesome production. Yeah, which is, you know, probably also uh, just like a side effect of not no longer having Issei's laptop as the producer. Issei's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> laptop is missing from the credits. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's also many different kinds of looks too. Um, grotesque is very striking with its almost Aya-esque opening riff, which is one one of the coolest things they ever did. And Aizoni Tsuki kind of brings my mind to a little bit of that new metal revival visual k which was going on at the time but obviously just way more diverse and musician like it, it has the it has the weight of that sort of like new metal revival like the heavy parts but it also has that sort of interspersed uh more experimental guitars as well 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think Shaw is like a highlight of that song, especially like how much he's added into his sort of repertoire of stuff that he does all the whispers and these notes that he carries like that long long screaming vanitas or then the kind of breathing growl things on eyes on it's okay there's just so many different looks yeah the, the, he had lost that whispering sort of um whispering uh, scream yell kind of thing in the de hymnus song as well it sort of reminds me a bit of how Cure from Deer and Grey does it sometimes. Just to get the Deer and Grey reference of the episode in. There we go. <laughs> Deer and Grey bingo. Well, yeah, because he can do like the growling uh, monster voice and then jump into like the sentimental kind of like um, good singing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the cleans. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it kind of reminds me. I mean, he sounds nothing like Shiraku from Metronome, but <laughs> similarly, he ha- he has a lot of different voices. Like, like kind of like Shiraku has like the different styles of singing. I think he can bring in like a few mixing a few different styles throughout the song. That's really good. Yeah, he's not Shiraku, but he I. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, something else that's interesting is the sort of like untypical song structure. You know, VK usually relies really heavily on you know verse, chorus, verse, chorus, end kind of thing. And I feel like a lot of the songs on this album more like develops throughout the song. They don't really return to the same section several times. Yeah, you can already tell that Retsu is looking outside of Visual K for influence, even while the band is still like within Visual K. Yeah, I think that might be something to think about, that this album might have come as a sort of like a, how do you say, like chance opportunity when the influences were just right, you know, there was still the the heavily rooted in Visual K, but also looking outside of it before completely abandoning it. It was just a preface in his master plan to start playing shitty indie rock. <laughs> this was just just to make it a little bit easier for the fans to <laughs> yeah, get around. I, yeah, I also want to mention something that happens a lot in, in Visual K, I feel like, but I don't really notice in other styles. I say as if I listen to a lot of other music, but <laughs> uh, but uh, the track number six, uh, Kyo Nori, which is uh, sort of like an SE sort of intro-esque track, it actually functions as an intro to the track after, like Ambitious Principles, they, they flow into each other, like it's, it's the build-up for that track, and I feel like Visual K does that quite often. Like, for example, Deadman has the song Lunchbox, which has the intro for the song as a separate track called Imp right before it. And that's not so not so rare, I feel like, in Visual K, but I don't see it elsewhere. Yeah, I think a song like Mad K is technically not too far off from the Fury songs from various, but the boost in confidence and skill kind of allows them to keep it tighter, putting on different elements. There is a very Deering Grey-inspired part at the end which is obviously lifted from Reiketsu Nariseba you probably know exactly what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah oh, was that it? sorry I actually uh, I was going to say that Mad K is one of those songs that I when I hear the title I don't really remember what it sounds like a lot of the other songs I can sort of conjure up in my head but this one I had to actually listen to again to remember oh right it's that one Interesting. it happens sometimes with albums for me that I I recognize the song, but I don't necessarily connect it to its title. Yeah, I'm slightly going to detract from the wealth of praise that we're giving it by saying that some of the songs in here I don't care for too much. 
the highlights are so high that the stuff that kind of falls in between is very obviously kind of in, in his shadow. And I think some of the ballads towards the end are just like not my thing. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I was going to say that um, the last track, the Hitoto Katachi, is one of my all time favorite ballads. It's just really nice. And the way it builds up towards the end to this very sort of emotional crescendo in the end, it's just. It always makes me sad to listen to it because it's it feels like this sort of like uh, testament of what the band could have been and then I just realize what the band is today and then I cry inside just a little bit. I think <laughs> I think the VK PC has just disbanded due to a fucking what was it? Cre- irreconcilable, <laughs> yeah, irreconcilable differences this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, it's always fun when we don't agree on something for once. Actually, I I have a funny, also personal anecdote about this album. Maybe like towards the end of 2018 or something like that, I was going to host my uh, Visual K nightclub, Lunacy, in Stockholm. And we had rented a a venue that we were going to start at 8 or 9, I forget which. But before us, there was a retirement party in the venue who was just sitting, having a dinner. Like, there was like 15 or 20 people sitting in a long table, just having dinner and holding speeches and stuff and then i was like kept checking my watch like when are we supposed to start when are we supposed to start and then exactly when the clock hit when our starting time was i just straight on turned on uh shigarami at top volume and just like blasted them with this uh, very very heavy dim limb song and people got quite upset but i was like i was like you know uh we have a contract, so I don't know what you guys are doing here. I mean, if you want to listen to VK, you can stay, but you have to get out of this table because it's blocking the dance floor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was obviously the venue owner's fault because, you know, you can't really have someone have a dinner party until nine and expect that the next thing can start at nine. But it was a fun fu- fun situation. I, I pissed off a lot of old people by playing... <laughs> she got on me by dim limb to them well it's a good thing that he doesn't have to remember that experience much longer <laughs> yeah could he place a quick sample of the intro of she got on me just for uh, context yeah i actually also forgot how it sounds in the beginning is that nine she got on me's track nine what is this huh <laughs> this is not true <laughs> it's oh. i think <laughs> yeah that's oh. the wrong album <laughs> That's not that's not Kedora. Uh, hold on, hold on. Way to trigger Frederick. <laughs> well. Alright, alright. Here we go. Oh yeah, this is the right one. So so just imagine people sitting having a nice dinner. I mean, it's good dinner music, and then, like, your entree arrives, and it's, like, the wrong thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I heard that he was so impressed that he actually booked the song for his funeral as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, after she had Rame, I followed it up by uh, Burst by Alien Mariage, which Alexi knows what it is. And that sort of sealed the deal and got the people out of the door. But not until they sort of threatened me a bit and stuff like that. Okay, so before we move on, do you guys have any favorite tracks from this album? Mm, let's see. I like Grotesque a lot. Aizo Nitsuki. I also like track four, Monogure Narite. Yeah, I, I like that one as well. And uh, I think personally, though, that's... I, I, I mean, the first thing I heard was Aizo Nitsuki, and I think that still holds up really well for me. But also, like I said, track 12 is just one of my favorite ballads of all time. So that one also goes on my short list for favorite tracks. Uh, for me personally, the three songs which were released before the album dropped are the best in addition to Grotesque. Those are the ones that I go to fairly frequently. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, they probably chose those three for a reason. So before we move on to the train wreck, uh, in my opinion, that is the MISC era. I think we should just quickly touch upon the uh, Rijin single as well, because I feel like it's an important transitional period. a lot of noodling in this track a lot. yeah that's kind of the reason why i felt like we needed to highlight this one because it feels like this is sort of like I, I know you guys said that the album has some of it as well but i feel like this is truly the point where like the old style of Dimlim and the new style meet this is where they sort of had their equal share of the cake before the math rock took over. Because you still have the heavy portions, you still have the sort of heavy like VK atmosphere that's completely gone in Misk, for example. So it's sort of like spiritually, it still feels very visual K to me at least, but there is a lot of interesting experimentation going on as well. Yeah, I think it actually happens to be my top two top three, maybe even my favorite song from the band in general. Yeah, it's sa same for me. It's uh, it's just this perfect mix of things that just works really well. And the PV is beautiful. Uh, Shaw looks really, re really cool in his completely white clothes and white makeup and everything. Yeah, actually, I went over the PVs recently and I noticed that the earlier stuff was actually much lower budget than I remembered, with the exception of this one. Yeah, and... It's pretty interesting as well because there was a long period between these. That's also worth mentioning, I think, that like Kedoara was really hyped. And I feel like it wasn't only in the West, but it also had some hype going in Japan. But they didn't capitalize on it. They had It was released in August of eight, 2018. And Rijin, the next release after that, was in June 2019. That's almost a year later. I think that, that probably they already were having some issues at the time. You'd think so, but that's why it's so funny how perfect it is. Like, it's a perfect example of how they could have gone softer without losing anyone. It plays up to all of their strengths and it still keeps their sort of basic a basic concept intact. Yeah, exactly. The The mood is the same and the sort of general feel of the track is the same as their, like, at this point, trademark style. It's so funny. I always forget that there's no growling or screaming in it. 
Yeah, there isn't. You just don't remember because the like the emotional weight of the whole thing is still the same. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree there as well. I don't miss it on that one. Yeah, it's weird. This is actually the first track I listened to of them because I've never heard of Dimlim until a couple weeks ago when you guys told me to listen to them. <laughs> and this is the track I, I put on first and I really liked it. And I was like, oh, this is something I'm probably really going to be into. And it's interesting because this track is like, yeah, like you guys said, it's like right in the middle of the transition. So their earlier stuff is kind of one side of things and then their later stuff is the other side of things. And I agree, like, I wish they stuck with this style, because this is, like, the best compromise. It has a lot of what I like, it has a lot of what you guys like, and it's fused together really well. And I think it's the most unique, like, of their styles as well, because they have sort of found an interesting fusion of things that works really well. Yeah, I think technically they also blow every single band that's active right now in Visual K out of the water. Easily. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty, like I said earlier, it's pretty sad to imagine or to think about just how few releases we had from this sort of period of the band like you have the album you have this single and then you have this sort of weird uh i would almost call it like a compilation of uh, unfinished tracks that they released the same day as the two band members left at the end of this period and i think those ones feel kind of like demo takes i'm not a big fan of that um mini album i guess you could call it yeah it's it's not it's not great and it's you can already hear some of like retz's questionable choices towards the end with some weird like i don't know sounds almost like um i don't know like air horns or something going on in the fourth track we're a big fan of those. Yeah, though. yeah. Can you can you play us a sample? Do you have it, Kido Airaku? Is that on uh, on your music player? Yeah, the fourth one. Yeah. <laughs> I had told him. <laughs> Fuck. <off. laughs> Surely this is not on the album. It is. <laughs> Dude, I blocked this shit out of my memory like a traumatic event. Yeah, so you can see that, you know, people, at least I was already starting to get a bit worried about his sort of like uh, artistic choices at this point. <laughs> that horn in the, <laughs> yes. in the intro. Yeah. It's like when people say that horns sound like farting. Like that's the perfect example. Like that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So I I almost feel like they just had a bunch of unfinished tracks, and then the the other guitarist and the bassist just suddenly decided they wanted to leave. It's uh, let's see what were they, <laughs> they called. They got sent the fucking uh, files in Teams, and suddenly both of them left the chat. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's more like you know they uh, they had uh, they had a bunch of unfinished demos left, and they wanted to get it out before the the band members left from the band. So the same day they left, they put this out, and it was released in some weird way. I think they charged like five thousand yen or more for these songs because it was supposed to be like a unfinished demo or something like that. Yeah, and eventually, begrudgingly, they put it on Spotify on the public outrage of Western fans. Yeah, because I think that uh, Retsu was actually making posts about foreigners sharing it online and how he was very angry about it. 
Yeah, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, but I think that we should save the final Retsu drama for the third and final period, which is the Retsu meltdown and non-VK period. But first, some wise words from our sponsor. Hi, it's Alexi here. And first of all, thank you for listening to the Visual K podcast. We're taking a small break here because I would like to tell you about the place to get your rare and not so rare imported Japanese rock, metal and Visual K outside of Japan, rarezone.net. Unlike on all those other websites, which are bad, when you shop at Rarezone you can rest assured that you're not getting ripped off by some bum selling a gazette shirt on a 300% hike and what you're paying for your rares is totally competitive with the street prices in Japan, just without the import fees. I'm just looking at the front page over here and I'm seeing a release by Sugar Trip and I click on the arrow a couple of times and now I'm seeing Sugar Forkful. That's two sick sugar themed bands that you're not going to find releases from anywhere else in the western internet. What's that? Your MacBook doesn't have a disk drive or a cassette player? Don't worry, because Rares Hut will make a digital version for you at the highest quality imaginable thanks to the Rares Ripper at the Rares Hut HQ. If you would like to buy these two releases, or anything else for that matter, and you're a new customer, you can enter the code VKPC at checkout to get 10% off on your first order. Thanks for listening, now back to the show. And we're back. So guys, I guess it's time we start talking about the essence, huh? Fuck, I had that in my notes. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually really like this album. I don't know anything about like the context or whatever. And um, I think I listened to this after the last single we just talked to. So I was like already on board with like the math rock kind of noodling and stuff. And I think that's fair, you know, if you weren't involved and you didn't know all of the backstory and stuff, I think that's, I would probably as well think it's an all, all right album. It's just that the people who made it has generated so much bad will within me that I couldn't possibly accept it. See, I I was advertising this episode as one of us is going to die because there is such a massive disagreement in opinion. Uh, Frederick despises it. I'm in the middle leaning towards a positive and James is positive. Well, I guess the context in this case is that, well, one thing that Dimlim never had is stability. Ryuma and Taishi are both out, and the Grand Wizard, damn lamer, Retsu is planning money moves, and what does a VK band do when they get even, like, two fans other than their extended family? Well, they leave Visual K. <laughs> so getting rid of makeup is nothing new, and neither is leaving it, but instead of trying to capitalize on surging popularity and become the new Glay or something, Dimlim stopped doing all those things that VK bands do just to survive. No MCs, no in-stores, terrible social media game. Retsu starts playing lives, his back facing the wall. 
and not the audience. <laughs> That's really weird. Yeah, he's kind of like, you know, doing that whole indie rocker thing where he's just too cool to be there, which is not like a thing that people in Visual K do. There's a lot of crowd interaction going out, especially with like small indie bands. And then the new album rolls out like a fire bombing in a desert and Misk is released. See, the problem, I think, is that most bands who leave VK don't actively sort of start back-talking the fans and the genre as a whole. They just sort of quietly sift into, you know, wearing blazers instead of uh, the elaborate clothes. You know, like... Uh, I don't think a lot of these bands have even ever officially said they're not VK anymore. They just decided to dress like normal people. You know, like Sid or Luna C or whatever. I don't think they ever said, well, VK is ab absolutely shit like Retsu did. He's like ch chat on all of his fans for like mentioning Visual K to him on Instagram. He had several meltdowns when he was ranting at fans. And he just, you know, ridiculed the whole Visual K fandom and the Visual K culture in interviews. He just struck everyone as sort of like a very bitter man who was trying to desperately distance himself from a past he had five minutes ago. And it feels very disingenuous. Yeah, not to mention he started blocking people too who <laughs> wrote about it to him on Twitter. So <laughs> Yeah, everyone who was like, actually, Keduara is better. He's like, block immediately. Yeah, I like that both him and Issei decided to keep Akane's social media game alive. Let the tradition never die. Yeah, that's just impressive, you know, that you have two people who are so spectacularly bad at handling public relations in the same band. Can you imagine how like a DID after parties in the like in the backstage? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Three extremely yeah. difficult people being in the same space, being like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everyone hating each other. See, I don't think it was a problem in those days because I feel like Akane probably had them on a tight leash. He's the Sigma male of the DID, and the other one who's just cowering in fear and plotting his overthrow <laughs> in silence. Yeah, see, and that's what what happened with Dimlim as well, you know. Retsu was just waiting for his chance to get rid of Essay uh, to take over the show, and this is where he ran it, in, into the wall. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we can probably go over all of us individually. Just what did we think about the album in general and the style of it all? Yeah, I think that it's actually most interesting to hear uh, before you and I give our more detailed impressions. Couldn't we get some more impressions from James first about the actual sound of the album since he's untainted by all of the drama? Um, I like the energy in this album and I like the guitar noodling. There are some parts that still sound visual K to me, though, like uh, track seven for the future. Like the singing is still like that kind of reminded me of Kyo from During Grey. Um, and I think it still has at least a little visual K vibe um, in the sound. Yeah, I think in a singing it's it's throughout. Yeah. yeah, the vocals are certainly the best part of this album, I would say. I mean, he's still an extremely talented vocalist in every way. My man is uh, being very diplomatic in here. <laughs> Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, you know, from an uh, sort of, uh, if I tried to put myself in an outsider per outsider's perspective, I would say this is probably a well-constructed sort of indie math rock album. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all right if you just listen to it for what it is outside of its context. But when I know that it's the same band that made all of these great releases, it suddenly becomes unforgivably offensive 
and then you add on top of that, you know, uh, all of Retz's fucking talk about this is the real essence of our um, band. And the first track is called We've Changed. Now it's your turn next. That's just... I love that's the just, smugness on it. Like, yeah, that's hey, just... Guys, yeah, I did kind of you. think about that. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's just straight up like, fuck you to all of his fans. Like, we've changed. Now you guys have to change too. Except all the fans, of course, just noped out. And uh, now they have like no fan base and play you know random free festival gigs at universities so what you're saying is that you're giving it a solid 7 out of 10 IGN <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would say if I would rate it out of 10 uh, if I would rate it outside of the context of, of what it is I would probably give it a 5 out of 10 it's a mediocre math rock album but if I'm rating I'm rating it out in the context of what it is I'm giving it a solid 0 out of 10 and a very big fuck you to Retsu <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i mean it's it's sort of the corruption of a band you like that makes you dislike this album in other words if the same members kind of were like oh all right dim Lam, dim Lam is disbanding and we're going to make this new project we're going to go in a different direction it's a new start a new kind of field of uh creativity you wouldn't have a problem with it maybe maybe you'd mourn the loss of, of the old band but it wouldn't be like no know. that would not be as offensive i would say but it's not just the band changing their direction it's the fact that they also have been overtly sort of trying to distance themselves from their previous career and also their fans that i feel is kind of a lot of bands change their sound and style but they don't go out of their way to insult their fan base for liking their old stuff <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair it's as if they weren't making it themselves by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's just uh so um, yeah i'm not sure but uh, yeah definitely not vibing with the new essence of things so to speak Okay, so you didn't feel the essence, and for me, I'm kind of like exhibiting some symptoms, but it's not like a full-blown case. Um, after numerous re-listens over like a year and a half, I guess, since it was brought upon the world, it's not that bad. I think it's also healthy just to consider like how bad Visual K is in general. <laughs> and <laughs> and in, in its best moments, Misk is way ahead of that. Retsu can still noodle his ass off and Shaw is just as good as like a pop singer as he's a metal vocalist. He's great. I think the best moments here are when they're like being kind of crazy, but they don't lose the plot, you know? So some of the straightforward songs I'm not super into. Actually, a lot of them remind me of something like later Bring Me the Horizon a little bit. But then tracks two and three, like you said, like Mist and Mayonakani Watashi Tsuredashte and Lament are very good. WhatsApp is awesome. It's very chaotic, but the chorus is so good that it kind of anchors it all, despite all the wackiness going around it. Uh, it has like a very strong like sense of speed or a sense of shape, as they say in Visual K. <laughs> <laughs> three three people will get that joke. Um, <laughs> its biggest sins to me personally are often aesthetic there's some songs here with like really rank moments i mean like dear god in heaven when that music era girugamish record scratching comes on in before it's too late <laughs> uh, bro i can't take that and then there are tracks with other like ill advice callbacks to some alt rock alternative 
dimension that I don't want to come back. Like the chorus in the very appropriately titled Funny World. <laughs> Which really made me think like Bring Me the Horizon later ha like has to be an influence here. Other than Lil Peep and all the other stuff that Retz was listening to these days. But yeah, in general, I think there is no universe where For the Future or Tic Tac are like even bad Dim Lim songs. If they were putting Kidora and had that better production, I think they could stack up with some of their best stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that's an opinion, all right. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Sorry. Well, the next episode is going to be only two people here. It's just um. me and James. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm the okay, I'm, I'm, actually... I'm, I'm the host. I'm going to find two different guys to replace you. <laughs> <laughs> you actually the East say of this podcast. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all right. It's all right. It's just uh, I used to have a very difficult time to say good things about this album, and it's because of this extreme bad will I feel towards the band itself and that has to do with the feeling of loss you know it's uh, you know kind of like being nice to the person who murdered your kids it's <laughs> not easy <laughs> yeah you cannot forgive him maybe on your deathbed you will finally find it in your heart to, I mean uh... <laughs> I, it does it does give me some some amount of pleasure to know that I'm not alone and that their career is sort of floundering in a major way and he can't really seem to get his head around things so who knows yeah. maybe maybe Shaw will come back you know do do a proper band again at some point I think that's what a lot of people are hoping for but I think he's totally on board um I would like to call attention to his English which is on the wrong side of endearing to me. <laughs> I can understand it too much, so I can really like relish just how cringe it is. Yeah. It's not like stacked rubbish era rookie who like <laughs> creates his own language out of English and you just don't have any idea what the fuck he's talking about. But in here, like you can clearly hear and he even enunciates like the L's in a correct way, but somehow that makes it work. Yeah, because it's, it's it becomes too Western. I don't know if that it just sounds like bad English <laughs> or or but if you watch their YouTube premium live where they perform the entire album show actually does scream in that a couple of times but they're very thin and frail which is, kind of makes me feel like he's kind of being held back by something it, it could either be like a vocal injury or maybe a gun backstage <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's probably, you know, Retsu has a sniper aimed at his head while he's performing. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, the YouTube live is very good. Yeah. It's kind of funny, though, because to, like, recoup some fans, the last one Monday did, they publicly announced ahead that they would be performing some songs from Kedoara as well as Misk. So <laughs> I think they... Yikes. I think they desperately tried to get some people to come back. I think they played like five or six songs from Keduara. So that must be an interesting mix to have songs from this album next to like, you know, like Shigarami or Vanitas. You know, I just figured out why this band is like this. You know, in Visual Gate, there is like a thing. If you wear a look of suits, that means that you're going to disband. <laughs> right? Yeah. And the thing is that they had like suits on in Vanitas, right? Or at least someone did, Sure did. So basically like they kind of circumvented the curse and they're stuck on earth as an abomination that will just refuse to go. <laughs> I mean, they, did they wear suits again for what's up? So Yes, they did actually. So, you know. so they're mocking fate here. <laughs> they, they're just trying very hard to get disbanded, but it just doesn't work. 
it's like that man who just like he's immortal and he just wants to die <laughs> so yeah i feel like we've sort of stated where we stand on misc now but uh do you guys have any Frederick, yeah? what's your favorite song favorite song on this album yeah uh i mean if i had to choose uh it's uh what's up because i feel like that one at least has some energy to it, which, you know, I don't really feel from most of the rest of the album. So, I mean... It does have a little, like, kind of metally dynamic, right, with all the stops yeah, and starts. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm all right with it, but I wouldn't put it on if I could play something else by Dimlin. So before we sort of, like, start wrapping things up, I just quickly, what do you guys see for the future? What do you hope for this band to do? Well, I think first we could go over what happened after the album, which is the world-famous COVID-19 pandemic. Every band's five-year plan was thrown out the fucking window. <laughs> right. And what did they start doing? Well, they started, they just doubled down on everything. They announced a single, which they then proceeded to cancel, and then re-announced it as an album instead, tentatively slated for an undefined period somewhere in the future. A clothing brand called Dimer was announced with a web shop, but nothing came of it. Their homepage died and changed domains. <laughs> as far as concerts, they announced a world tour that was such a professional operation that it had dates being changed and improvised on the fly. The Mexico concert was cancelled because like 20 people bought tickets. <laughs> then they said that if they get like two, 300 people to sign some like do Google Docs thing online, they will like rebook it. <laughs> then right. for whatever reason, they decided to book a gig in the lovely Irkutsk. Basically at a ba at a place that's like O'Reilly's Irish Pub Saturday Evening <laughs> Battle of the Bands. Yeah, I remember this as well. I think it was, yeah, it was exactly like a random, you know, music pub basically in uh, Siberia that they had a gig booked. I mean, naturally, it's like an international Visual K hotspot. Like, who wouldn't go there? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they probably had both Satsuki and Sana coming through, so... You know. <laughs> oh my god, the ultimate <laughs> Eastern block <laughs> touring... Yeah, imagine <laughs> the yeah. machine. Yeah, imagine that trio: Sana, Satsuki, and Dimlim going on a, a three-man no tour. No minor of... is safe <laughs> in that town. People better lock their daughters. Uh, they announced a, a, a YouTube Premium Live, which caused some confusion because people, for some reason, thought that it's like the only way to watch it is by getting YouTube Premium. And it does sound like that. Yeah, it does. And then when when Ritsu went on into Instagram to clarify. He misspelled premium and wrote it in such a confusing way that nobody still had any fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, eventually they performed that live and they disappeared until they came back to perform at a Japanese frat party. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, they, they had that one lie, like I said, when they promised to play some old songs as well, just to desperately sell some tickets. <laughs> and then they... Like you said, they performed at a, f a free high s no university festival with three other uh, random bands. So you know, career is booming at the moment. <laughs> I mean, it's a big yikes, and it, <laughs> it it feels like there is like no reason for it other than they're just like consciously decided bad business practices. Yeah, I wish it was conscious 
bad business, but I think this is just legit what Retsu thinks is the plan, you know, how to do things. Yeah, and just so that everyone knows, this is not just the Western community who thinks this way, but if you go on like Tanuki, you can go to read through the Dim Limb thread. Nobody has any idea what's going on. It's full of expressions of general distaste and confusion about their changes and then wild speculation as to why they're doing any of this yeah i mean i I, like i said i can't imagine any reason for them to be forced to bring out old songs except sell tickets i think i can't imagine any other reason for them to do that because they clearly don't want to so but what what do you think will happen from now on do you have any prophecies alexa this is where you tell me your prophecies for the future oh uh I thought that would be last. Or should I go first? Oh, well, uh, James, you can tell me your prophecies for what do you think will happen with the band from now on? I have no idea, but if they release another album, I'll listen to it. They're going to put it out as a coupling album with X Japan's new album. <laughs> yeah. So stay tuned. Yeah. Um, I think considering how long they lived this zombified existence, I don't think they're going to disband just yet. If they put out new stuff, I'll listen to it and I'll probably even like it. But really, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I feel like... I, e- I need to use the toilet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all right. I can do my part. It's really hard to tell, but I think I agree with Alexei that the band sort of has slowed down their activity so much already that it's not really taxing for them to continue this existence. But I'm not sure if they're going to become super active again or if it will just sort of like meander on in this sort of semi-zombified state for a while. But in the long run, I, I'm not sure. We might see that album, or it might be another ex-Japan story, so... Yeah. I mean, we will see. If they drop another album, we can do another episode about it eventually. And I think that's about it, at least for me, when it comes to this sort of grand run-through of the history of Dimlim. You want a sound effect? Yeah, let's let's sum, sum up our feelings uh, for... <laughs> for current dim limb with a sound effect can you do the boo thank you that's uh... but here's mine <laughs> and what's, what's alexis uh i think it's a solid golf clap <laughs> it's the it's the good effort yeah. good effort clap uh, like participation medal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think that's a participation medal i think that's a good place to end this episode a participation participation medal for misc and dim Lame. they they tried yeah and for us we all participated in this episode so <laughs> yeah and uh, i think we did rather well considering it's a band you hadn't heard before <laughs> to be fair that happens quite often so we, we make do yeah that's true you guys usually bring up stuff i've never heard of <laughs> yeah so you just like macaroni <laughs> <laughs> macaroni metronome i don't know during gray every episode at least once (laughs) (laughs) we haven't mentioned kagura in a while yeah (laughs) i guess nothing about that yeah we never yeah nothing sounded like kagura i suppose in this episode but yeah so i guess that all that's left now is to thank our amazing audience for listening to this hopefully interesting episode when where we discuss and bash dim limb in different amounts speak for yourself <laughs> me and james are big fans here <laughs> yeah hey I, I i'm a big fan of the old stuff all right so you know two, two out of three living in the past man <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's what we take away i'm living in the past you guys you're you're with it me and james got our skateboards on our shoulders <laughs> well 
hey, hey, we've changed. Now it's your turn. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good quote to end it on. Uh, So we plan on keeping to our release schedule to the best of our abilities. So hopefully look forward to hearing another episode in two weeks or so after this one drops. But uh, until then, Alexei. Sayonara.